0: Yeah. Three six my yeah. hey, F. Three C's, hey, my going you down. you hey, know whoa, what time it is. Whoa, hey, we ain't playing with you. Hey, In the club. Hey, In the street. Whoa, hey, whoa, hey.
1: All right, hello everybody and welcome into another live edition of No BS Season 2 Episode 6 getting underway on this Thursday evening in San Diego up in Northern California and out in Columbus, Ohio. Good evening folks alongside the usual suspects. Trevor Williams and Isaiah LeYoung, Cal McClure joining you folks here tonight on a spectacular Thursday, September 3rd 2020. Trev, good to see you buddy. How we doing tonight?
2: Pretty good. Excited to do the 6th episode of Season 2. Got a lot of Good, I guess topics to hit tonight, and you know, an interesting Power Five that you know will continue Isaiah's food streak. Let's say,
1: yeah, the food streak, folks, is still going on as we welcome in our resident Asian Skip Bayless. That is Isaiah Le Young. Isaiah, good to see you, man. How we do? Uh, how we uh, doing the night?
0: Great to see you guys, Callen, Trevor. Um, can't wait for a fantastic show tonight. If you guys are wondering why I am wearing my Nick Mullins 49ers jersey, it's not because you know 49ers season is around the corner. It's because tonight marks the official start of the 2020 college football season it's been a long road to get here but we're finally here and the reason why i'm rocking the nick mullins jersey is because the first fbs game of this 2020 college football season happens to include nick mullins alma mater southern miss in it tonight. It is Southern Miss versus UAB. Can't wait for uh, this game. I think the game already's kicked off, but I can't wait. It's the start of a abnormal and really uh, different college football season. But yeah, man, I can't wait to get this
1: show underway. We'll have more college football folks later in the program. By the way, folks, a very quick disclaimer I want to clean up here. No, we did not call each other. We did not text each other to all, to all wear red today. just happened to align that way. So, no, this was not pre-planned or pre-occupied with us wearing red on the show today. But with that, guys, as mentioned, a great show lineup. And, of course, folks, we'll take your input live on the air today. Again, we're live via Facebook on two separate pages and also live via the MI6 Sports Network on YouTube. And, of course, folks, as we always uh, also I usually do. But, of course, you can also subscribe to us on your podcast platforms to wherever you, in fact, get your podcast today and find us on Apple, Spotify, you name it. We are there across the board. With that, guys, let's talk about the NBA postseason. And, again, we already had talked about last night on Wild Sports Talk, fellas, about the very uh, sensational seven-game set between the uh, Nuggets and the Jazz. But last night, of course, was uh, the uh, Rockets. Or, excuse me, uh, we'll actually keep that one aside for right now. But uh, let's go though first, fellas, to the uh, Heat and Buck series, and again, that is now a two nothing Miami lead. Isaiah, we'll start with you on this one because I know that, of course, you know you were keeping tabs on this ball game last night in a very, I'd say, wild, loony, crazy, and I, I and I would also say, above all else, a perhaps controversial finish to this ball game uh, between uh, Milwaukee and Miami in regards to the like pretty much the last twenty seconds of this ball game yesterday. Isaiah, lay it out for us. What do you got for us for this game? All right. Before I get into my thoughts about the whole controversy that happened
0: in the final uh, 19 seconds of the game, Callan, do we have that clip of me like talking about the Miami Heat? I think it was pro- uh, after the trading deadline in February. Do we have that clip? Uh,
1: yes, we do. Here it is. Hey guys. Let's move on to the other big news. The NBA
0: trade deadline. We had big, big plays going through, man. Andre, which all ended up with the Heat. Uh, D'Angelo Russell found a new home with his pat Carl Anthony Towns. See what I did there? And the Golden State Warriors take on Weekend's massive deal. Isaiah, I gotta get your t- take, man.
1: Winner and loser
0: of the NBA trade deadline. Listen, my winner right here, my big winner is my man Martin Garcia's Miami Heat. Shout out to you, Martin. Shout out, Martin. The Miami Heat have clinched the Eastern Conference title with their acquisition of Andre Iguodala. Listen, the Miami Heat were already a really great team. They were already really tenacious on defense. They could score a lot of points with Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, bam, and those boys. And now you add another tenacious defender in Andre Iguodala. This team is gonna be the best defensive team in the NBA. They're gonna surpass the Clippers. I don't care that the Clippers are Kawhi and Paul George. I'd rather roll with Andre Iguodala and Jimmy Butler. The Miami Heat are going to shut down Giannis in the playoffs. They're going to win the East, man. Right here. The Miami Heat are going to win the East. You heard it here first. Amen. Validation, ladies and gentlemen. Absolute validation. A lot of people, after uh, they saw that video, came to me and said, Isaiah, you are crazy, man. You are delusional for saying that the Miami Heat – had not only emerged as serious contenders against the Bucks, but I believe that Miami had overtaken the Milwaukee Bucks after what they did in the trade de- trading deadline by acquiring Andre Iguadala and uh, Jay Crowder to uh, help make their team even better, and it's showing right now. The Miami Heat, you've got guys like Jimmy Butler, uh, Bam Adebayo, Andre Iguodala, Jay Crowder. Goran Dragic, who have absolutely balled out and have been tenacious on defense. They've shut down Giannis and his supporting cast, and they've exposed the Bucks as a one-man show led by the Greek, Greek Giannis and Tentacumpo. I said that the uh, Heat would overtake—I mean, they have overtaken the Bucks, and that they would beat the Bucks, and so far— Uh, All the stuff that I said is coming to fruition with the heat of two games to nothing in that series. But enough about that. I want to talk about the controversy that emerged last night. So, Callan, Trevor, I got three words to describe my thoughts on this game. The three words are ball don't lie. Ball don't lie, plain and simple. Let me explain why. Before I actually go on and talk about, you know, uh, the final uh, 20 seconds, I just got to say, man, the Miami Heat, they were dominating this game through and through and they held a seven point lead with 19 seconds left. It should have been over. You've got to be able to close that down if you're the Miami Heat. Jimmy Butler, you have to knock down those clutch free throws. If you knock down those clutch free throws, we're not even talking about the final seven seconds of that game. The Miami Heat have got to get better at closing because if they don't, they're not going to win a championship. But let's move on to the controversial final second. The reason why I say ball don't lie is because I don't believe it should have gotten to a tie ball game with four seconds left on the previous possession. Before the controversial Giannis foul on Jimmy Butler, the Milwaukee Bucks got away with a ticky-tack foul call. Come on, man. That wasn't even a foul by Goran Dragic. Just watch that replay. Chris Middleton, he is shooting a three to try to tie the game up. And Goran Dragic stays vertical with both of his arms up to guard Middleton. He was straight up. He didn't slide into the shooter or he didn't, or even go under him or even hit him on the arm. It was a great defensive stance by Goran Dragic. If you watch the replay, you would clearly see. Chris Middleton, as he releases the basketball, leans in to Goran Dragic to initiate the contact and draws the offensive foul. He pushes himself onto Goran Dragic. That should have been an offensive foul. It was a terrible call by Mark Davis and his entire officiating staff. And I am so glad that the basketball gods gave the Miami Heat retribution. For that absolute rubbish call that they made on Goran Dragic. And now let's move on to the Giannis controversial foul. I thought the foul on Giannis and Tentacumpo was the same thing like uh, Goran Dragic. It was absolute BS. And Giannis, he played perfect defense on that shot. He doesn't touch Jimmy Butler on the arm. He doesn't go under him to disrupt the shot. He merely just slightly touches him on the hip. And he gets called for a foul. That is the softest foul call I have ever seen in my life, and it ruined such an epic game. Can these refs, for once, just learn to let the players play, for goodness sakes? Nobody pays good money and tunes in to watch the referee show. No, we want to see these stars go out there and compete and light it up on the basketball court. It's just extremely frustrating to see these great games Go to waste because referees decide, hey, they want to be the hero or they want to be the ultimate decider and, you know, and end up ruining these damn games. It's just so frustrating, man. I wish that, you know, they would have let the players play and that it didn't happen the way it happened yesterday. But, hey, it is what it is. I think that the Milwaukee Bucks are in a world of trouble. I think that the Miami Heat have got them where they want. And I believe that Miami now we will finish the Bucs in five games.
1: So, Trevor, we'll kind of steer away from the predictions right now, though, but things do look grim now for Milwaukee. We know, of course, everyone kind of panicked about them and the Lakers losing the first game of their first-round matchups with Portland and Orlando, and they both came back strong in game two, though. But now, though, Milwaukee, I think, is in a world of trouble, though. I believe that they are, in, in fact, in a world of hurt right now, down two games to none against a very good and very energetic and exciting Miami Heat team again, with really, other than Jimmy Butler and Bam, a lot of guys that probably are kind of coming into their own right uh, recently. And I think, though, that Isaiah, though, is on to a great point, though. Is like I've always said, though, Trevor, this goes for the NBA, the NFL, and even the WNBA. When they publish that final two-minute report where they literally break down every single whistle that goes on in the last two minutes, maybe the last minute now, depending on how the rules have changed, I just say it's flat out irrelevant that a that in my mind that the referees or at least at the NBA refereeing committee can write up this, you know, thorough report of every single whistle that happened in the last two minutes of a game and then just out of the blue say, oh, by the way, they we missed a shot clock violation or a backcourt violation or we missed a foul here. It's like that's good and all, but that doesn't change the outcome of a ball game. It still goes in favor of Miami. And again, we had a very very loony last 20 seconds there down in Orlando. But Trevor, give us your thoughts, though, Manly. Probably more so about this game, more so than anything else between Miami and Milwaukee.
2: I guess just this game in general. There was like a lot of momentum in, in this game going on. Because I, I believe I looked at a stat that seven of the Miami Heat players scored in the double digits. So Miami really came to play in this series. And there was no taking the gas off from start to finish. Though they blew a big league in this game, the Bucs were able to close it down and only end up losing to foul shots at the, tail, at the tail end. Just imagine that Jimmy Butler didn't get fouled at the end. That game would have gone overtime and it could easily split this game series to one-to-one since Giannis could have that momentum going into overtime and, you know, he could have his almost his little MJ moment or a legendary moment that could be like, hey, Giannis is back. He's going to be able to control the East. But since they end up going down in this series, Now, can Giannis win two games back-to-back, make it 2-2 overall, or will he have to come back from a 3-1 deficit like the Utah Jazz had to do to end up clinching, I guess, their spot?
1: Very. uh, I agree, fellas. And mainly, you know, I I know, of course, that this is a very interesting sequence of events because, again, I, I don't know if we've seen that much utter lunacy take place in a basketball game let alone in the final moments of a game where we see, you know, both teams get, you know, probably in all of people's minds, maybe gifted free throws at the very end. Where, of course, normally I think nine times out of 10, I'd say now eight times out of 10, that the referees in a basketball game put the whistles in their back pocket. They rip it up, they rip it off the lanyard and put it away. And they don't usually want to be in that spotlight, though. But I think, though, Isaiah, that the referees, I think, in both this game and even I think game seven of the Oklahoma City Houston game, are under a very big microscope after the events that occurred last night. Do you agree with that, and why?
0: Oh, I totally agree. I think um, what happened last night in the final seconds of the Milwaukee Miami game is that they made the mistake by giving uh, Chris Middleton those three free throws. They they saw on the replay that you know that it should have been an offensive foul, but they made a mistake on it, and then they just had to you know give. Uh, they basically had to give. Uh, Miami redemption for it like Doris Burke said it on the telecast last night that she was really ticked off about it because once you make a mistake on one side the refs feel inclined to give uh, the other team on like another chance or a foul so they can give them a gift for like it's like payback so it just completely ruined the game I hated it and you know I just wish that uh, it never happened but it, it did happen and Um, I just hope these uh, other reps can learn from uh, these ref's
1: mistakes. Trevor, I think Isaiah has a tremendous point, though, as I would think in regards to if you do it one way, you have to do it another way. I I think about it, though, mainly in baseball, for example, when a umpire, for instance, um, has to, you know, has a missed or, you know, probably calls a pitch. It's not a strike. For one team and then you come back the next time up or that team that got that gift gets that called against them where it's like a makeup call in baseball trevor do you agree about isaiah's point so in regards that maybe the referees obviously not putting the whistles away but at the same time though perhaps in a lot of people's minds doing it both ways though but at the worst possible time to be gifting someone free throws
2: first thing i would like to say is i made a mistake i said the utah jazz i meant the denver nuggets end up winning the series But obviously that three to one deficit. But I think when you look at a ref trying to bounce out a game, there's no way that we ever seen a ref refs call a perfect game without saying, oh, this foul was called right or this little extra. So at a give and take, at the end of the day, they're still humans and they're still going to make the mistakes to try to balance the game out. So they may call a wrong call at one point in time. But when it's one of those calls that changes the whole base of the games like we see it in college football with the whole targeting call and you get a player ejected that changes the whole momentum of the game and we saw tonight with the nba and the three-point shot that could have been an offensive foul that literally dictated the entire game at that last seven seconds that were left on the clock and that forced butlers to shoot that foul to end up putting him on the line for the heat to end up winning that game so if you take that call out Obviously, the heat would dribble off the clock, and then that would have been the end of the game. But I think at the same time, it's more the lines that at the end of the day, you're going to get those calls no matter how much you want to call that game and all that stuff. So you can't avoid those types of calls.
1: I, I agree. You know, at the end of the day, the refs are humans, though. But again, though, I think that it's worse, though, I, or I think it's magnified more so, fellows. Because this is during an NBA playoff game that this is happening in regards to, you know, missed calls and stuff like that. So I definitely think that probably there, sh- there is some explaining to do, though, but more so than a two-minute report, though, where you probably break down all these plays in a, you know, in a very, you know, nicely typed out Times New Roman essay about, you know, hey, we had this called here and that called here it someone changed the complexion of that ballgame. Isaiah, we'll go over to the question that I posed in the chat for the audience tonight. Is it over now that Miami is up 2 games to none on Milwaukee in your mind? Um I believe it is because right now if you look at it
0: the Heat uh with like not with the last 19 or with the last like 50 seconds of game 2 not counting the Heat have been the far better team thus far in this series. You know they've dominating the, they've dominated the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh they've been great defensively. Jimmy Butler has been great at scoring the basketball and leading his team. Goran Dragic is balling out. He looks uh, way different from the – he looks like the Goran Dragic of old. And then you've got the young kids like Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson who have stepped up and shined from three-point land. And then Bam Adebayo has been doing his thing uh, inside uh, the post. So it's just been a complete team effort for the Miami Heat. And right now it's like – It's like you're having like eight guys against one guy and maybe another guy for the Bucs if he does step up, but it's like eight against two. It's not really fair uh, right now in this series.
1: So Trevor, Isaiah is leaning, I think, probably right now, leaning towards it being over for Milwaukee. What do you think? Is it over with the heat up two games to none on the Bucs in your mind and why?
2: It's going to be tough for Giannis to come back being the only true superstar on the Bucs, but if he's, if some people say like Ryan and other people in the MI6 network saying he's the best in the world, if he's best in the world, he should be able to come back from this 2-0 deficit. But if he can't and gets swept, that takes that question out of the ballpark. So I feel like he's going to be able to win game three, but if he can't win game four, it's most likely in the books after that.
1: Yeah, Trevor, I agree with you that, you know, two, you know, two nothing sounds grim in a series but I think though, if you fall behind three games to none, then you're really behind the eight ball. Where again, you lose that next game, you're done in a 4-0 sweep. Though, but I think though, it's going to take more than just Giannis to be able to lift this Milwaukee team. Whether it's the Lopez brothers, Middleton, Bledsoe, somebody else other than Giannis to carry this load though, and that with that piano on his back though. So I, I won't count them out yet though. But if they fall behind three games to none, it's probably you know set you know set in stone. You know, make the bed and lay in it. So we'll see how things go on. Uh, with that in mind, uh, Isaiah, back over to you. What do you got for us?
0: Yeah, I just want to say one last thing before we move on from this game, and that is, you know, just you just got to look at the sequence in last night's game when the Miami Heat legitimately put. Four guys on Giannis and Tentacumpo, and they just had one guy guarding. I think it was Chris Middleton. That just shows you how much respect they've got for the other guys. They don't have any respect whatsoever for the Lopez, for Brooke Lopez and um, George Hill, and any of these other guys. They are daring them to step up and beat them by putting four guys on Giannis and one guy on Chris Middleton. So I honestly just think that um, this series right now is over because the uh the heat just got too much weapons on their side.
1: A lot of people probably agree with that in regards to how Miami has looked so far in these first two games but I think though that I would think that at, at right now still maybe if in fact they fall behind 3-0 it might be over but if Milwaukee can win game 1 or get uh, win game 3 at least get one win in the column and at least get some confidence maybe that perhaps could change though for the Milwaukee Bucks. We'll see how things move on from there. With that, Trevor, going over to the other game that I was referencing at the top of the show, though, which was the Rockets and the Thunder. Again, another very great instant classic series, though. But mainly, I think it also boils down to, I think also in this game, a referee crew and also about the last possession of the game. James Harden, always criticized for playing terrible defense. What does he do? Blocks the potential game-winning shot to lift the Rockets over Oklahoma City to face the Lakers in round two, starting tomorrow evening down in the bubble. Uh, Trevor, first, man, let's get your thoughts, though, about the game. And also, uh, mainly more so, let's talk the game first, though. Uh, I think instant classic, a great game between two very good veteran-led ball clubs. But but in the end, though, it's the Rockets knocking off Oklahoma City.
2: I personally, like, look at the series as a whole with saying the value of Chris Paul in this series to take OKC to a Game 7 against an elite Houston Rocket team just think about like if I was talking with Isaiah on the phone, I was, as I was getting dinner and I was like saying, if Chris Paul was able to win that series, does the value of Chris Paul quote unquote being better than Russell Westbrook and based on that value, that great. So it was like saying at that point, if Chris Paul was able to win it. He's way better than Russell Westbrook. And he was able to take a Oklahoma city team in his first year against a number three seed, and just be able to take him to a game seven. Russell Westbrook wasn't really able to do that when he was just him by himself. So at the same time, it just shows you that Chris Paul was a better hustle, more of like a hustle athlete, able to get more points, was aggressive on defense. And it just shows that at the end of the day, defense ends up almost winning you championships almost.
1: Isaiah, what do you make about the game as a whole? We'll get to more about, you know, the game-winning block shot, you know, the maybe the referee conspiracy, uh, conspiracy in regards to uh, Chris Paul and, and one of the referees having some legitimate beef over the past several years momentarily. But give me your thoughts, though, about how this game went and how this series ultimately went between Oklahoma City and Houston.
0: I agree with Trevor completely. I don't think that uh, moving on from Chris Paul and getting Russell Westbrook was really an upgrade for the Houston Rockets. In fact, I think they downgraded because if you look at it, Russell Westbrook in crunch time, he couldn't make a shot to save his life while Chris Paul was draining shot after shot after shot. So I think the Rockets uh, made a mistake by trading uh, for Russell Westbrook. I know why they did it because Russell Westbrook is obviously younger than Chris Paul. But come on, man. Chris Paul is so clutch. When you need him to be, but in terms of this game, um, I just gotta say, Mike D'Antoni, after the game last night, should have went back to his hotel room, went down on his knees, and thanked the good Lord that he is still employed because that guy was so close to being un- unemployed. Oklahoma City and Billy Donovan had not one, not two, not three, but six. Freaking chances to win the ball game in the closing seconds yesterday. Ladies and gentlemen, on Wild Sports Talk yesterday, I went all raw, raw about how Billy Donovan is one of the best coaches in the NBA and how he is so good, this and that. And and today I'm extremely humbled and I got to, you know, eat a massive plate of crow and take all of that back. Ladies and gentlemen, I think I can coach better than Billy Donovan. The decision decision making and play calling yesterday by Billy Donovan in the final three possessions of that game was horrible and downright atrocious and it left you scratching your head. First of all, let's talk about when he sent Danilo Gallinari to the free throw line to take the free throw when the Rockets were up 104 to 102. I get that Danilo Gallinari has an 89% free throw shooting percentage, but come on, man. You can't send Danilo Gallinari to that line in that situation. you got to send CP3 to the line in that situation. We are talking about clutch closing situations. I knew Gallinari was going to miss that free throw simply because he hasn't been in those types of massive pressure situations before. So I knew the pressure was going to get all in his head and voila, he missed the damn free throw. Chris Paul has way more experience in that department than Danilo Gallinari. He's your star on your team. You got to trust him, Billy Donovan, in that closing situation clutch situation you got to sink or swim with chris paul any other situation gallinari can take that free throw but in that situation you need chris paul to take that free throw and and then let's move on to the uh the play before the final play callan do we have that picture
1: yes we do here it is awesome
0: all right you guys see that picture over there so uh, yeah, you. so SGA, what are you doing, man? What are you looking at? You have Steven Adams cutting right to the basket. He is so wide open. There is a gaping hole right there. Steven Adams could have sat down. Had a picnic, ate a club sandwich, and even possibly drank a whole bottle of wine and still be able to get up and dunk the damn basketball. That's how open he was going to be if you actually spotted him. You could have tied the game right there. And then let's move on to the final possession, the infamy possession. First of all, Billy Donovan... I got to ask you, what the heck are you drawing up there? You should have stuck with the previous play and had Adams cut to the basket and he would have been wide open again for you to tie the ball game. And secondly, Steven Adams, what are you doing in the middle of the scrum near Shigiljus Alexander trying to screen and push Rockets defenders out of the way. It doesn't make any sense. Cut to the damn hoop, my guy, and have SGA lob it up to you. The Rockets can't stop you because you're like 5 inches taller than any of those Rockets players on the court. It's literally like that picture of Yao Ming standing back to back with Kevin Hart. That's how like bad or that's how taller Uh, you are than the rest of those Rockets players. It doesn't make any sense, man. I think Billy Donovan is the main culprit in uh, the Thunder losing this game with his pathetic uh, play calling, uh, drawing up plays, and terrible decision-making down the stretch. And it's so sad that the Thunder had so many opportunities to win this game, but they just ultimately couldn't do it.
1: So, uh, Trevor, in your mind, I think Isaiah's onto to a good point, though, that maybe that, that final possession probably falls, sadly, on the shoulders of Billy Donovan for maybe not working things out again. Stephen Adams, uh, per that, uh, again, per photo, again, we'll p- throw it back on screen, though, but it, as mentioned with uh, SGA throwing things in there, but man, oh, man. I mean, with every other player practically guarded, he had two options with Adams in the middle and then one more option at the very top of the screen there, and he chose not to go the route of that Uh, Trevor, in your mind, does perhaps Billy Donovan earn the, uh, you know, earn the brunt brunt of the blame for the uh, Thunders lost last night? What do you think? Well. We sadly folks lost Trevor. So we'll get his thoughts here in just a moment when he's able to get back real quick. Uh, But I I think Isaiah, you're probably on to probably the right track though, that uh, perhaps the blame probably does in fact go on Billy Donovan for that missed call. As we do, in fact, bring Trevor back on here, uh, Trevor. Let's have that again. Take two in action.
2: I, I, I really don't know what's happening, but um, I really didn't get your question, Colin, because the audio was cutting in and out. So
1: I'll
2: just look uh, back. do you
1: believe that? Do you believe that Billy Donovan deserves much of the blame, if not all the blame, for the uh, final possession there for Oklahoma City?
2: I think it probably most likely is because that's more of a coaching issue and like when you're in a tight game like that a coach needs to know how to manipulate the game for to give his players the best opportunity to score a basket or come up with a play in the final few seconds to either tie the game or take that deep winning three to help them put them up by one and end up closing out that series that's the whole purpose of a coach and I think no matter what star play you have on the court and what their shooting percentage is, if you don't draw up the play to do it, there's no way you're going to be able to win a, a close game like that.
1: Definitely a great fellas for sure. And again, folks, the uh, Thunder and the uh, Rockets playing a seven-game series last night. Uh, real quick, guys, a quick comment from Christy Wilson. And I think she agrees with us here. Donovan's play calling very confusing or confusing and gentling. A lot of people definitely agree. Isaiah, what do you got for us? All
0: I'm going to say is that that picture that you just showed up on the screen Callen is going to haunt Oklahoma City Thunder fans for the rest of this entire offseason cuz he was I, wide open man he was wide open you're yeah, definitely close.
1: definitely agree definitely agree uh, I think Billy Donovan may be waking up with cold sweats and probably with nightmares about that uh, call but again you know stuff happens where in fact things don't go uh, don't go the right way Uh, Isaiah, that does, though, bring a very interesting uh, question to uh, to the front, though. a report I saw last night from Mark J. Spears on Twitter that apparently there was a bit of a gripe or some beef between Chris Paul and one of the head referees last night by apparently the referee—forget his name, though, but I remember seeing this report, though, last night, I believe from Mark Spears of Yahoo Sports, though, where I believe—I want to say it was Scott Foster. I might be wrong on this, though— But the referee pretty much told Chris Paul, hey, don't forget, I uh, don't, you know, don't forget, I was the referee when you were last eliminated from the postseason. So I don't know, man, if there's like any legs to the story, though, man, but I found that tweet to be very, very interesting. I'll try and pull it up for you guys. But uh, Isaiah, you know, that's kind of a very bizarre sort of turn of events, though. If, in fact, any of that comes to light and come to fruition, what do you perhaps make about, you know, maybe this uh, conspiracy or maybe some beef between Chris Paul and the uh, NBA referees?
0: Well, I mean, if that's true, then I think the NBA should not let that referee rep any more uh, games against Chris Paul because he obviously has – uh, an agenda against Chris Paul and you know it's gonna it's like just it's just like what happened in the Sacramento Kings Lakers series when that uh referee started making all these like calls and he admitted afterwards that they were just like favoring the Lakers I believe because they had some beef against the Sacramento Kings and it just ruined the entire game so I think that if this is true and I think the NBA should do an investigation on this if this is true I think that ref should not be allowed to ref in the NBA again because you can't be that biased. You can't be biased towards a certain player. You can't. You have to be neutral uh, in your position as a referee.
1: So real quick, guys, Matt Young of the uh, Houston Chronicle. My goodness, folks, my apologies for that. Uh, my apologies for the sunset right behind me here. It looks like we have like a, someone watching the program from behind me. But, folks, uh, here is the story, by the way, from Matt Young of the Houston Chronicle. Uh, in regards to uh, what we had just talked about here. But a very quick uh, excerpt from Matt's article reads the following. Chris Paul is eliminated from the postseason, but he did not leave the NBA bubble without taking one last shot at much-criticized NBA official Scott Foster. So I was, in fact, right about that. Foster, who has a long history with both Chris Paul and James Harden, whistled the Oklahoma City point guard for a delay of game that resulted in a technical foul shortly before halftime of the Rockets 104-102 game seven victory on Wednesday in the Orlando bubble. Following the loss, Chris Paul said, because uh, uh, said before the delay of game was called, he was indeed stalling by tying his shoe so he could get a peek at a replay to see if the Thunder should challenge the previous call on the floor. Chris Paul told this uh, quote to uh, the press last night about Scott Foster by saying, quote, Scott Foster walked over to me and told me, Chris, you ain't gonna do that. I got them sweeping up the floor, Paul said, after the uh, Thunder loss. Kristen said, okay, cool. So I start, uh, started to tie my shoe back up, and he calls or still calls delay of game. That bleep don't make no sense. He just, I don't know. We could have won the game, but that situation, the league knows. Yeah, they're going to find me. I said his name. We all know the history, close quote. Harden would make the free throw following the tentacle foul to give the Rockets the 54-52 lead with two, uh, just about 2.30 to go in the first half and further folks real quick before we back move on here uh on this paul who has lost his last 10 playoff games in which foster was an official also said that foster approached him before the opening tip-off and told him he was a referee back in 2008 when the hornets lost game seven to the san antonio spurs of the western conference semifinals. when paul was with houston he criticized foster after he lost to the lakers in which the official gave tentacle fouls to both paul and head coach, Mike D'Antoni. Further real quick as well. uh, Paul said, yeah, Scott Foster at his finest. Paul said that, uh, uh, said that night of a tentacle foul he received from Foster when talking with official Courtney Kirkland, Uh, you know what I mean? He just never fails, close quote. So Trevor, I don't know, man, but this I think just adds another layer, I think, onto this very weird referee player beef going on here right now. But then, though, Trevor, I mean, the audacity of Scott Foster to remind Chris Paul and rubbing his face. Hey, by the way, you remember I was a referee when you lost in uh, game seven in 08 against the Spurs, right? You know, that was me, Scott Foster. Uh, Trevor, uh, thoughts about this story that now has pretty much uh, surfaced over the last several days? You
2: can't do that to a player. It's like you, the player can't touch the ref. So, like, that's almost like taunting. That should be almost like a foul at that point. Like, refs should not be doing that to players. It's not right. But at the same time, I kind of want to make the joke that since, you know, Chris Paul's in all those State Farm commercials, maybe he doesn't have State Farm. Maybe he has bad experience with State Farm. So he may be like the farmer's guy and, you know, doing something else like that. So I got to throw my little insurance fun joke out there. But at the end of the day, refs should not be making gestures like that. That's disrespectful. You're a professional and you should be just refereeing the game. You shouldn't have hidden agendas, try to mess up a players' legacy when we Go back to analog. in these game sevens, but you still have an an out, overlying outcast. Was that ref was the reason why they couldn't
1: get past that game seven,
2: and that's going to affect their legacy. And you can't change that,
1: Isaiah. I don't know if it's on the same plateau as the two thousand two referee snafu between the Lakers and Kings, though. But it certainly, though, man, I think raises questions, though, about referee professionalism and, above all else, ref uh, referee ethics in regards to again right down the middle, being impartial, being neutral for both sides, though. But man, though, to rub it in the man's face that he was a referee when they lost in 2008 in another Game 7, my goodness, man. Uh, final takeaways from this uh, story that again surfaced last night, per first by Mark J. Spears of Yahoo Sports and also by Matt Young of the Houston Chronicle.
0: I mean, it just goes to show you uh, what I was talking about. I think it was on monday's episode of wild sports talk that referees and umpires need to be held accountable there is no accountability when it comes to referees and umpires you know they're kind of like dictators now they can do whatever the heck they want and they like can get away with it while the players if you say something bad about the referee you're getting fined so i just think that these professional sports leagues and even college sports leagues too they need to you know Set some accountability when it comes to referees and umpires.
1: I definitely think for sure. And again, very interesting story, I think, uh, guys that has again developed or did in fact come to fruition last night. And Christy Wilson agrees. Scott Foster crossed the line in her opinion. Definitely crossed the line. Uh, definitely crossing a couple lines there in regards to, for one, taunting a player about past history and also more than anything else, though, as well. Holy cow in regards to uh, the uh, calls made, to down the stretch. With that, Trevor. Final question from for this, uh, for this uh, block here of the program. Pretty plain simple. Did the Thunder choke, or did the Rockets win it? What do you think?
2: I'm just going to say that the Rockets just got lucky. And with all the circumstances we're going into this game,
1: Looks like we've lost Trevor by virtue of some technical faults, folks. And, uh, you know, we were actually saying, Isaiah, before the show that it would not be a MI6 Sports Network show without some technical faults. Uh, with that, Isaiah, let's, let's hear your thoughts. Did Oklahoma City choke or did the Rockets win this thing? Oh, I think the Thunder for sure choked
0: the game because they got six chances to win the game. And, you know, normally if you had a competent coach, out there calling plays and designing plays and also making decisions i think that team would win the game so obviously the thunder choke and but they hey they're a very young team they're gonna learn from this and i think that this is gonna sit with them until next season and i think they're gonna use it as fire to come back even stronger next season because let's not forget this thunder team They weren't supposed to even be here this season. They were supposed to be a team that was uh, supposed to get the number one pick in the NBA draft. But instead, somehow, some way, they played loose. They played with nothing to lose. And they came out on fire. And then they got the fifth seed in the loaded Western Conference playoffs. And they forced a Game 7 against the mighty houston rockets that's already a really incredible accomplishment um i think it's a fantastic year for oklahoma city their fans shouldn't um you know lower their head that much even though they choked this one game but hey you learn from it and get better and you know get better
1: next season all right Travis. Travis again buddy uh what do you make of this did oklahoma city choke or did houston win this game last night
2: i'm gonna stick with what i said like houston rockets got lucky Chris Paul and Scott Foster issue. That was a thing looming over that entire, I guess that entire game. And at the same time, like Isaiah said, you had six chance to win it, but at the same time, you still have two superstars who can drop 30 points on any team on any given night. So it's just like the Rockets had more firepower in reality. They should end up winning that series. So at the end of the day, if you look at stats and paper, the Rockets were just the team to end up winning that series at the end of the day.
1: Definitely agreed for sure. And, again, folks, keep those uh, thoughts coming along as, in fact, we move on into our next topic here. And that, uh, and that, guys, is the very uh, interesting move made today by the Brooklyn Nets that is hiring, for one, Cal McClurg's favorite NBA player of all time, but also a man with no head, uh, no coaching experience, and that is NBA Hall of Famer Steve Nash to become their new head coach, signing a four-year contract today. Uh, and, uh, and uh, Trevor, we'll start with you on this one. Mainly, though, man, from what I had read today, uh, earlier this morning, a uh, good relationship with his former teammate, Sean Marks, who, again, played with him back in the, back in the day with the Phoenix Suns, uh, and also a very good relationship, of course, now with Kevin Durant and Kyrie uh, Irving, who both signed off on this move to uh, bring Steve in to become the head coach of the Nets, the 23rd head coach in uh, New York slash New Jersey slash Brooklyn franchise history. Uh, Trevor, I think a lot of people very surprised about this, In fact that it's a... For one, a, you know, one of the greatest players of all time, uh, two-time MVP, uh, obviously not winning a title as a player, though. Won uh, won one, though, with Golden State as a uh, player consultant. I think, though, a guy, though, with no coaching experience. And again, we've seen a lot of guys, though, that have been uh, great players who had no experience coaching, who I think became great coaches. Isaiah Thomas for a bit, Larry Bird, Steve Kerr, notably, some of the uh, three guys I can think uh, think of off the top of my head. So, uh, Trevor, your reaction to the Nets, uh, hiring Steve Nash of all people, pretty much to become the new head coach of the of the, uh, Brooklyn Nets basketball team.
2: This is more of the interesting pickups by any team that I've ever seen in a while, but at the same time it's Steve Nash, like you said, he was on the warriors with Steve Kerr getting some coaching experience. So he was part of that warriors team to be more self-sustained and learning how to coach star players and young talent. So, him coming to Brooklyn, now you have two star players. Now, can you get a third to build like almost like a three piece and end up building a team that can be a playoff contender or an Eastern Conference champion to go into the NBA finals? But at the end of the day, can he get that third piece? That's the thing I'm looking for. Can he like attract Giannis to come to Brooklyn? And now you have a team that can just run the East for at least solid three years or a good two years with the potential of to one the two titles, or can you get somebody in the draft that would be, Hey, this is a hot talent that can work with KD and Kyrie. So this is going to be interesting how he ends up coaching in the off season for
1: sure. Uh, Isaiah, it'll be very interesting to see how, in fact, the nets are able to make this work though, by virtue of, again, a guy like Steve Nash, great player, player consultant, but again, has never coached before. At any level, head coach, assistant coach, you name it, whatever is going on. But I think though that mainly I I, I I've thought about it a lot, you know long and hard today, and by virtue of, though of the relationship that's already been built between him and Kevin Durant is a reason as to as to why I think Durant and both Kyrie Irving both signed off um, on so this. I think though that right now, if you were to probably uh, take the temperature of New York basketball fandom, I know that both teams probably are not the you know best you know or, or sharpest tools in the shed though. But I think, though, the Nets, in my mind, look way sexier than the Knicks if I'm a basketball fan in New York and I'm trying to find a team to root for because, you know, they, they look good. Two bona fide superstars in Irving and KD. Now, though, as well, some 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 you know some history with KD and Steve Nash, but also a great uh, guy like Nash who, you know, has earned the respect of players around the league and stuff like that. I think that, the, the, like I said this morning, This could be very well. I think, though, that Steve will probably struggle, as any first-year coach does, and go through some hiccups. I think, though, more than anything else, though, big-time props for the Nets to extend Jacques Vaughn to be his main assistant coach. And uh, Isaiah, I know it's a very surprising move, though, but I think one that probably, in my mind, works out for Brooklyn long-term. What do you think, though, about the hiring of Steve Nash?
0: Well, so... Let me start with what happened last night. Last night, I had a dream that, you know, me, Callan, and Jonathan Mathis, who is our co-host on WST, shout out to him. Uh, we had gotten big, and we had replaced Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman on First Take, and we were doing our thing, debating uh, a random topic. I don't remember what it was. And then all of a sudden, we got a tweet from Adrian Wojnarowski that Luka Doncic had tore his ACL, and I woke up like <laughs> – Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And then like, I was like in all in sweats. I was panting. It was just like really shocking. And then I looked on my phone and then all of a sudden I see Steve Nash is going to be the next head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. I think that dream was the universe telling me that a bombshell had dropped because right then, right there, Woj t- tweeted it out. But in all seriousness though, um, it was a very, very shocking hire. Um, I, I, t- Honestly thought uh, for the Brooklyn Nets, we had been hearing Greg Popovich. I didn't know how likely that was going to be. Um, we, I thought Mark Jackson was honestly going to be the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets simply because uh, there was a report that came out, like I think a month ago, that Kevin Durant really wanted Mark Jackson to be the next head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. So I thought that Mark Jackson going to Brooklyn was a foregone conclusion. But then this news drops, and I was just like – you know, I was just scratching my head. I was like, wow, it's really crazy because, first of all, Steve Nash, as you mentioned, he doesn't have any head coaching experience, um, and but he has a great relationship with Kevin Durant, so I think that's why he landed the job, as well as a great relationship with Sean Marks, the uh, Nets general manager. I'm really interested to see what offensive and defensive system that Steve Nash decides to run. Um I kind of liken this to when uh the Brooklyn Nets kind of did the same thing in luring a Hall of Fame point guard in Jason Kidd to coach a, uh, a superstar studded team with Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, Darren Williams, and Joe Johnson back in 2013. But that didn't really work out. But the reason why that didn't really work out was because Jason Kidd hired a bunch of yes men and he didn't really hire a lot of guys with experience. So I think Nash needs to learn from Jason Kidd. I think he needs to hire a staff full of guys with uh, a lot of head coaching experience, which would really help him. Like uh, Steve Kerr did in Golden State and also I think he needs to take some of his players input um, just like Steve Kerr did because if you if you do what Jason Kidd did which was just go in and be sort of a, like a dictator it's not your uh, older veteran players aren't going to listen to you so I'm really interested to see uh, who Steve Nash puts on his coaching staff and I think that that will dictate if he succeeds or not in Brooklyn.
1: Definitely agree. And I think, though, that having Jacques Vaughn kind of being that voice to, or that guy to kind of lean on for advice, definitely in my mind, is a good way to go. And, real quick, Christy Wilson, Nash being hired by the Nets is surprising to me to hear that Katie wanted him there in Brooklyn is just as surprising. And again, I think that just probably comes up from the, from the relationship, though, with him playing in Goldman Center. And also, Christy says Isaiah would probably put Stephen A to shame. I think John would also do that as well. Definitely for sure with that thought process as well. But again, folks uh, congrats though to Steve Nash named uh, the new head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Again, a four-year deal for Mr. Nash. And again, we'll see how he fares in his first time being an NBA uh, head coach or head coach in general for any of his time recently with that, uh, Isaiah going over to major league baseball, the Padres just were shut up by the LA angels to nothing today. But of course we'll take on the Oakland ace tomorrow. And thankfully, immersively folks, the ace are cleared to resume uh, baseball activities tomorrow, again, by virtue of a positive test for COVID-19. Their entire series this week wiped off the board with the Seattle Mariners. And I will say, Isaiah, like I've said, though, man, ever since the trade deadline passed on Monday, and I had said plenty of times, no, you know, hey, it was great for once that it was San Diego and Miami and Toronto being involved in the mix. For the trades, though, how about a weekend like this, where it's the Padres and Athletics, though, and two teams, I think, who probably should earn the praise, though, of being the biggest surprises in Major League Baseball and also two teams whose offenses could probably make this a 20, you know, this game could probably finish 20-19 to with how explosive these offenses are for both these sides, though. So, Isaiah, it's going to be a fun weekend, man. Probably going to be some pretty funny banter between the two of us, man, but it's going to be a good one, though, up at the Coliseum. Uh, Your thoughts about, for one, though, mainly, though, both these teams, probably, I think, in both of our minds, Really surprising a lot of people and turning heads this season.
0: Yeah, uh, I totally agree with you, Cal. And it's going to be a fun series this weekend. I believe that the A's will sweep your San Diego Padres. I'm I'm just joking about that. But uh, I think that, you know, it's going to come down to who can pitch better because we both know that both of these offenses are fantastic you've got Tatis, Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer leading the way for the San Diego Padres and for the Oakland A's you've got guys like Matt Chapman, uh, Steven Piscotti, um, Mark Cannum, Matt Olson leading the way so these offenses are fantastic they can hit the ball a long way but it's gonna come down to the pitching whoever can pitch the best will win this series and you know I think for this series I think that if we this could potentially be a World Series preview given how these two teams are right now one of two of the hottest teams in baseball so I'm really interested to see who wins it Uh, but I just think that uh, in terms of this series I think it's going to come down to obviously the starting pitchers.
1: Definitely. I, Trevor, I think that this series, though, while it's going to be, you know, very, you know, sexy on paper, if you love uh, numbers and analytics and stat cast and launch angle and, you know, projected home run distance and exit velocity, it's going to be sexy if you love numbers. But I think, though, it's going to boil down, though, to both pitching and the bullpens in mysteries Because right now the Padres are lined up to have Zach Davies pitch on Friday, Chris Paddock throw on Saturday, and Garrett Richards throw on Sunday. Again, as we already talked about, folks, but again, the A's had their entire week of uh, action until tomorrow practically wiped off the board by virtue of a couple of positive COVID-19 tests their entire series this week with the Mariners has been axed for right now off the schedule. So Trevor, in your mind though, what probably is the big factor in your mind from the series though? Is it going to be the offenses who can just tip the ball out of the ballpark all night or what we all probably agree on here, starting pitching and also the relief core?
2: I think it's going to be the relief core 100% in most cases. When you have two teams that, look almost identical on paper with a lot of the same wins and losses. And they're both on like – they're t- they're only one game separating each other from their last 10 games. So a lot of it's going to be really close. But I think it's going to be coming down to those the last three innings, innings seven, eight, and nine. That's what's going to end up dictating this series right here. For me personally, I think they're going to end up splitting it based on how much talent and firepower that they all have. But like I said, it's the last three innings that are gonna make or break this series right here.
1: It will be a big one. And again, though, folks, two good teams again, very surprising. Again, probably making fans tune into the ball games again. A three-game set kicking up at the Oakland, Alameda County Ring Central Coliseum tomorrow, uh starting at six forty tomorrow night, then day games at one ten on Saturday and Sunday. And again, Isaiah Sally, the Ace, though, again, as mentioned, wiped off the board this week by virtue of a couple of positive COVID tests. Uh, I understand you have some uh, info to pass along for one of the uh, positive tests that were, in fact, uh, in the news today by the Oakland A's.
0: Yeah, um, I just want to, uh, I don't know if you're watching, but Daniel Mingden, if you're watching, you know, I uh, just want to tell you uh, we wish you nothing but the best and we wish you a safe and speedy recovery from COVID-19. Uh, hopefully, like right now, hopefully that uh, you get through this uh, fine and 100% and back on the field to go in and kick some butt. Yeah,
1: and again, all the best to uh, Sean. And uh, again, hopefully it is uh, nothing too serious in regards to uh, the COVID outbreak. And again, folks, the A's will be back in action after, again, having to sit on the sidelines for the past couple of days due to a couple of positive COVID-19 tests will take on the Padres tomorrow, Saturday and Sunday, kicking off a new a, a series at the Oakland Coliseum against 640-110-110 game times. With that Trevor today's the official start of what is right now a very big time abnormal college football season by virtue of the fact as mentioned some conferences not playing right now some conferences are in fact playing right now and again a lot of implications in place but Trevor give me maybe one college football team to watch for this season during this again very abbreviated and again very weird and abnormal college football season who's who is it and why
2: so the team I'm going with it's not your your power power five conference i'm going to the group of five conference i'm going with memphis the american conference is on the up and coming and last year they ended up winning the conference playing penn state in the cotton bowl though they weren't successful they were able to compete in that game so that team is going to have a lot of big target on their back and be able to end up dominating and that conference alone had at least five teams finish in the with double digit wins so like that shows that the american conference is up and coming it's about to get spicy this year so i can't wait for it to unfold to see who ends up becoming the top dog in that conference
1: all right isaiah we got trev going with the memphis tigers of the american conference what about you again maybe one maybe a couple college football teams to watch out for as this a very abbreviated and again very abnormal college football season gets underway today
0: all right, so I got a couple. Number one is definitely got to be the Georgia Bulldogs. You know they uh, return one of the best defenses in the country. They've got a great offensive line coming back. Uh, the receivers, you know, they're young but they're really, really talented. Uh, the running backs, you know, we know what Georgia can do on the running game. Uh, they've got a fantastic head coach and Kirby Smart, and I they just got one of the uh, best transfer quarterbacks. From USC and JT Daniels, who's got a phenomenal arm. Uh, he uh, is going to take over for Jamie Newman, who just opted out yesterday. I think he's a major upgrade over Jamie Newman and a better fit in the air raid scheme that Georgia's going to run this season in the SEC. And I just think like Georgia's primed to go and win a national championship. You know, they've been close a few times. And right now, with no fans in the stands, Alabama's crowd not going to be as raucous as usual, Auburn's not going to be as raucous. As usual, that's going to affect a lot of programs. And I just think right now, Georgia has the team, of both on offense and defense and coaching, to go and win that national championship. Um, and another team that I would definitely look out for is, ladies and gentlemen, this season, we, we're not going to have the Big Ten. We're not going to have the Pac 12. So it's only going to be the SEC. The uh, the Big Twelve and the ACC and I think the uh, some of the Group of Five that are going to make the abbreviated college football playoff. So I think there's going to be two teams in the SEC. Uh, it's going to be Georgia one, and then there's going to the other team that I have is a team that's going to really really shock you, Callen. You might as well get that shock GIF ready. And that team is Mississippi State. I know. I know a lot of you guys are going to be like, oh my God, Isaiah, go get drug tested or whatever. The reason why I'm saying Mississippi State is because they had one of the best defenses last year their offense was horrific they went seven and five or seven and six last season with a terrible offense that only scored like 13 points a game it was their defense that was leading them to wins they returned that defense they fired their head coach in the offseason joe moorhead he's out and they replaced him with the dynamic great offensive mind in mike leach who everywhere he goes Everywhere Mike Leach has been, he's put up a ton of points uh, on offense. So I think with that dynamic offense that Mike Leach is going to run and that dynamic defense that Mississippi State has returning, look out for Mississippi State in 2020.
1: So Mississippi State being uh, one of the teams that Isaiah is looking at, and also of course Georgia, guys. I'm going to go to two to uh, two programs right now that right now are not playing as of now in the fall season, but probably in the spring though. Michigan and USC for the sheer fact, Trevor. I think you're going to like what I'm going to say though. I know you. I, I know you can't stand blue in your wardrobe, buddy. That's why you're wearing red tonight <laughs> because they're probably guys in my mind the two biggest programs not playing right now, but probably could play though eventually that have head coaches on the hot seat. Clay Helton, of course. And let's not forget about Mr. Harbaugh. If Harbaugh cannot beat Brutus this year, I don't see how those boosters and how the alumni can let him hang around in regards to, again, losing once more to Michigan again. And also, of course, Clay Helton and USC again needing some kind of a uplift for sure. But again, folks, we'd love to hear your thoughts, though, about who is a program keeping an eye on. Christy says she's going to go with Clemson uh, in the ACC as a team to watch, definitely cannot uh, uh, pit, uh, pit, uh, bet against the champs, and of course against uh, Trevor Lawrence again, of of course, who's probably going to be the number one overall pick in the upcoming NFL draft next year. So with that, guys, we'll segue over to tonight's Power Five. <laughs> And now for your 7 o'clock newscast, we now go to Callen, Trevor, and Isaiah. I always feel like I'm going to be delivering like the 7 o'clock evening newscast whenever we do Power 5. But again, folks, it is Power 5 time on No BS Season 2, Episode 6. And tonight, uh, get the sweet tooth ready and make sure your stomach is uh, ready to go for some top five desserts. Uh, By virtue of Isaiah having a two-show streak of having food, food shown live on air. That was by virtue, again, of the very now infamous Texas Roadhouse uh, <laughs> rant, which of course has also made this new uh, buzzer and this new uh, gift we've been sharing. i virtue of Isaiah with the uh, food last program. But with that though, Trev, dessert time is on the menu for our uh, Power Five. Let's hear it, man, what do you got?
2: All right, so my number fifth spot, I was, right now it seems I'm gonna put a lot of ice cream on those lists, but let me see if I can turn the course. So my number fifth spot, I'm gonna go with the strawberry shortcake since we're coming up with Labor Day. Just having a nice strawberry shortcake on a nice hot Labor Day is very a nice touch to it. So that's why I end up having that in the fifth spot. My fourth spot will be the ice cream sandwich. Just a nice to bring your summer to a close. The chocolate sticking to your fingers cause it's melting and it's just a nice cool bite as you bite into it. So that's really nice in the number four spot. My number three spot, I'm gonna to have to go with apple pie. Yes, I'm changing it up, bringing that good a classic American tradition. The apple pie, you can't get much American than that, than pumpkin pie, but I would say apple pie is a lot better than pumpkin pie in my own opinion. Number two, I'm gonna to have to go with the traditional birthday cake. When it's your birthday, that's the first then you end up getting it's like so exciting and it's like you have different variations of the cake my favorite would be like the ice cream cake see i'm locking in my ice cream all the way through this list is best of my ability but yes birthday cake is always going to be probably in that top like in your dessert line no matter where you are just having a slice of birthday cake is really nice and then your num- my number one will most likely be I'll probably say a dessert will probably be a root beer float, though you may say it's a drink, but it's a nice treat after you had dinner and you just want to say, hey, let me kick back and put and get a root beer float. So that's why I will put as my number one.
1: (laughs) I could see Isaiah because, (laughs) folks, when we go to the one person view and we're not in in the uh, tri view like this. I can see everyone's reactions, and again, Isaiah gave us the patent-pending trademark <laughs> when Trevor said the root beer float. so Isaiah, we'll let you have the floor now for your top or power five desserts, because you love to eat on, on live programming, apparently.
0: Yeah, I should have brought some of the desserts on today. <laughs> I was going to bring a big apple pie with a scoop of sh- vanilla ice cream and just eat it on the show. No, like a no more food audience. live on air.
1: <laughs> but please, let's
0: But Trevor, I was going to walk off the set when you said the root beer float. Man, the root beer float at one? Come on, man. I can name like 20 better desserts than the root beer float at one. But hey, it's your list. For me, number five on my list is the chocolate chip cookie. A nice chocolate chip cookie, man, is always the best like you pair it with a glass of milk, it's just freaking amazing. Uh, number four on my list, and this is really tough because I literally spent three hours going through this list because there was like. Uh, I 20-
1: you wanted to make a point about. Yes.
0: Yes, I spent three hours crafting this list. There was like 30 desserts. I had to narrow it all into like to the top five. So this was very tough. But number four, I got to go with the uh the Oreo cake, the Oreo birthday cake from Safeway that I just had recently on my birthday. It was freaking so good. It was like a chocolate cake with Oreos, and then in the middle, the, cr- the cream was Oreo cream. It was just so uh, delicious. I really recommend you all to go check that out. Number three on my list has got to be the strawberry shortcake and the best strawberry shortcake that I've ever had was at this uh, restaurant that has now closed unfortunately due to the coronavirus, Sweet Tomatoes or Soup Plantation that it's known down in uh, Southern California. Um, They had fresh, warm, fluffy pound cake and then you just put some whipped cream on it plus some uh, fresh strawberries and it's so, so good. And then number two. I definitely got to go with the ice cream sandwich. And Trevor, it's not the uh, normal ice cream sandwich that you're talking about. It's the ice cream sandwich that you can get from the cream ice cream store, which is they actually have two fresh chocolate chip cookies fresh from the oven. And then they put two scoops of vanilla ice cream right in the middle of those two giant chocolate chip cookies it's amazing it's really good i really recommend you guys to all go check that out as well and number one on this list it might cause callan and trevor to walk off the set it's the pumpkin pie the pump (laughs) <laughs> the pumpkin pie, best dessert ever. I would like on Thanksgiving, like forget the turkey, forget the stuffing, and all that. I would just eat one pumpkin pie from Costco. Get the pumpkin pie from Costco, ladies and gentlemen, and put a um a scoop of whipped cream on it. It is so. So fantastic. The pumpkin pie is my number one. Best dessert. You make my root
2: beer float look bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely terrible. Christy, ag- Christy agrees. OMG, now I'm hungry. I've had that comment up for a while. Maybe it's not a good idea, Isaiah, to do food power fives around 7 o'clock Pacific time when some of us are either still eating or are getting ready to eat. I kept mine pretty basic for my power five folks for desserts. A uh, number five pie in general of uh, mainly apple pie. I would agree, especially we have very good apple pie here in San Diego up in Julian, California. They make it fresh at two very good places. Literally can drive out there, grab it, come home and eat that with either some decaf coffee, some milk, whatnot. I'm going to go off the board here with number four, some good old fashioned strudel. Number four for me for that, especially if you go to Solvang, California, small little Danish town. Up by Santa Barbara, kind of tucked away from everything. They serve amazing strudel. They have, uh, you know, fresh pastries and strudel every morning up there in us, uh, up there in the Santa Ynez Valley. Uh, number three, good old fashioned chocolate cake, especially if you do the molten chocolate cake where it's hot, where it's uh, uh warmed up. Maybe some hot fudge on it. Definitely can go for that. Number two, I love cookies in general, but mainly the good old fashioned cookie skillet from like Chili's or BJ's uh where they make the bazookis again they take the skillet again they make the cookie in there and a big old scoop of ice cream on top but number one for me is ice cream in general whether it's out of the yeah. carton, whether it's on a cake whether it's uh, a sandwich whatnot good old-fashioned ice cream for sure takes the power five but if you folks have a power five of ice cream or dessert definitely let us know we will uh, of course um maybe take your advice though about what to perhaps have with our desserts. With that in mind, Trev, how about final thoughts for tonight's show?
2: All right, final thoughts. I will say, I will put my honorable mention that was on the outside looking in. I would say cheesecake and my top cheesecake that I had in my cheesecake career would probably be my chocolate lava cheesecake. So what the cheesecake was, the cheesecake was on the outside and it was like... It was hot fudge in the center with ice cream, and it was, like, so good. I had it for my 21st birthday, so it was, like, it was a perfect way to, you know, continue my cheesecake career. But, yes, it was a great show tonight. I can't wait that – I'm excited that college football is back. I'm going to be watching the American Conference because they have a a lot of great storylines. I'm hoping they can reach the college football playoffs and upset a Power 5 team, and that will kind of push the gateway to open up a larger playoff bracket in the future, but yeah, I'm excited for tonight's show. I can't wait for next week's show.
1: It'll be a good one for sure. And I think though, not just that though, you know, kind of prove, Hey, the the group of five is just as good if not maybe better in some capacity than the the power five schools for sure. So I would definitely uh, keep an eye on the uh, AAC this year and Christie writes in one more notable option, fudge brownies. Got to go the route to a fudge brownies for dessert as well. Isaiah, how about you for final thoughts for the night show? yeah you know it was a fantastic show um i shouldn't have talked
0: earlier about trevor putting the uh root beer float as number one because i followed it up with an even worse one by putting the (laughs) (laughs) i put the pumpkin pie at number one and the all my credibility went down went away just like that but yeah But hey, it was a great show. Trevor, you forgot one more uh great dessert and that is the creme brulee. The creme brulee man is so good. But great show tonight. I can't wait for uh next week's show. Next week's show is going to be actually be really good since we're going to be coming on the air I believe at halftime of the first NFL game of the season. Football is back. College football is coming back. Baseball, you know, is in full swing. We got basketball in full swing. This is truly like uh, that Christmas song. This is truly the most wonderful time of the year. I cannot wait to, after this show, go and watch the uh, Southern Miss game and root for those uh, golden egos, man.
1: Go egos. Very well said, Isaiah, in regards to it being the most wonderful time of the year for sports fans. Trevor, what do you got for us, big fella?
2: I got one more thing. We have the Mi Six Fantasy Draft, I believe, Sunday. So you get to see everyone on the Mi Six Network getting on the stream and watching us draft our fantasy football teams because the NFL season about to start. So tune in for that episode on Sunday.
1: Oh, if, if you folks thought we were a bunch of dingalings and a bunch of idiots <laughs> on air, wait till you see the uh, drama that may unfold in the draft again. As, uh, as a sadly, I don't think that we have the clip though. Uh, anymore, but I do know though that Stephen uh, did roast Isaiah when we were celebrating Isaiah's birthday about him drafting Drew Locke, the quarterback for the Broncos, in the second round of the draft last year. So there may be more utter lunacy from Isaiah, and even from me, or even from anyone else, come Sunday for the uh, for our uh, Mi Six Sports Network um, Fantasy Football. Again, we'll have that stream here for you folks on Sunday, and then of course we'll get back to work on Monday, uh, on Monday and Wednesday. Uh, of course, for uh, wild sports talk. And again, folks, as a reminder though, as we already had talked about yesterday, but a quick note once more, but again, wild sports talk is going to a brand new start time starting next Monday. Join us at 7:30 PM, not 6 PM now, but 7:30 PM Pacific time for all the wild and crazy sports news stories and takes of the day with myself, Isaiah, and of course our main guy, John Mathis. And we also, again, folks want to send our deepest condolences and, uh, thoughts and prayers to John, who again lost a very, very near and dear friend and a uh, more so a brother than a friend uh, uh, last night at the uh, tail end of our show last night. So again, we wish John and his family all the best. With that, folks, again for Trevor Williams, And for Isaiah Young and our main producer and engineer behind the scenes, shareable Stephen Wang. But sadly, when Stephen doesn't produce these programs, and I do it, we have way more sound effects being utilized. So you'll be probably, folks, seeing more of the family feud buzzer and Callan doing the uh, dog-style head turn uh, being utilized. (laughs) more often than you probably would like to see though. So that is where we're at folks. But again, we'll be back with you folks uh, on Sunday again, as a reminder for our um, NFL draft or fantasy football league draft back here on Sunday. And of course, Monday, uh, getting back to work regular style with our programming back here next Monday. And also, uh, Trevor, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that we have a pretty big Ohio State beat writer joining one of the programs next week. Is that correct?
2: I believe so. I don't know the exact date. I would have to look back at our chat. But yeah, that's coming up. I'm excited because we have some of our Ohio State members coming in and tuning in. So like Ryan, Steven and Shree be able to ask this reporter some Ohio State questions and the, the I guess the foreseeable future of a Big Ten season. That's going to come in around November, it looks like. But who knows? That timeline may get bumped up earlier, maybe to late October. But we have to wait and see what the Big Ten ends up deciding to do.
1: So for any Big Ten football fans out there, again, tune in this upcoming week. Uh, Isaiah, I guess, uh, do you have anything to add further about next week? What do you got?
0: Yeah, I'm actually kind of glad that you brought it up, Cal. And so we're going to be moving Wild Sports Talk next week. We're already moving it to 730, but we're moving the Wednesday show from Wednesday to Friday and we're going to move quarantine chats from Friday to Wednesday. So you're going to have quarantine chats on Wednesday next week. It's only uh, just next week for Wednesday uh, for quarantine chats. I mean, and we're going to have Ohio state football beat writer, Joey Kaufman joined the show. He writes for the Columbus Dispatch. He's a uh, really phenomenal writer, and uh, he's uh, he's going to be on to talk about everything Ohio State-related, uh, Big Ten football, if it's going to come back or not, and also he also covered USC briefly with Ryan Abraham, the uh, legendary USC football writer. Uh, we might talk some USC. We don't know about that, but make sure you guys tune in. It's going to be an awesome, epic
1: episode. So again, folks, a couple notes there, but again, we'll have all that laid out for you, folks, uh, in the coming few hours or over the course of tomorrow in the week. And also, folks, real quick about our Mi Six Sports Network Hot Takes Challenge: Freddie Henderson upsets Ryan in the uh, in the uh, second round uh, by virtue of a sixteen to twelve vote, fifty-seven percent of the vote, uh, overtaking Ryan. So Freddie moving on to the left side of the brackets, final round, and again, perhaps looking for the Mi Six Hot Take Challenge. A championship, trophy, belt, whatever it's going to be. I think we can work on something eventually. But uh, don't worry, folks. We'll have plenty more of those brackets, though, as more time moves on. We're just kind of getting it off the ground and running. But, again, we'll probably having uh, periodically having these sort of things, though, as time does move on. And, again, folks, don't forget, come Sunday, we'll be having ourselves our fantasy football draft live on air for you folks back here on the MI6 Sports Network. Again, we'll have all the details for you folks later on, either today or over the course of, of the next uh, couple of days with that folks for Trevor Williams and Isaiah Young, Cal McClurg signing off tonight. We'll see you folks back here as mentioned on Sunday for the MI6 sports networks, fantasy football league, right back here on the six, the MI6 sports network. Take care folks. Have a good rest of your evening and so long. Bye-bye.
0: Yeah. (gasps) Three C's mafia. Whoa. Might be up. It's going down. Y'all know what time it is. We ain't playing with you in the club, in the street.